Go on, go on. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Uh, hey, everybody. Hey, online. How are you all doing? Good. We got a response. I mean, it's a question never to ask a room of people publicly all at once, right? But a question that has been asked countless times in the last 18 months, hasn't it? And um, it got me thinking that this question, how are you doing? It can be asked in a variety of ways, can't it? You get the greeters. How are you doing, JP? Oh yeah, I'm okay, thanks, but um, we've got this kind of thing going on at home at the moment. And it suddenly like that face goes down as if like, I was just saying hello. Like I, di I didn't want any more than that, just a, gr a brief hello. Then you get the repeaters. How are you doing? Oh yeah, I'm well, thanks. So how's things? <laughs> ah, you want more. Okay, I will give you more. Then you get the flirters. How are you doing? <laughs> I mean, I had to get that one in there, didn't I? Just to say, the welcome team is not the place to use that. <laughs> or anywhere, in fact. Then you get the weighty askers. Now, these are people who ask the question innocently, but the way it comes across sounds like they are asking much more of a deeper question. When I um, first met uh, my wife, Emma, um, we were dating, and uh, just a, a few weeks into that, I went down to the church that she was part of and um, was waiting for her to arrive with a friend of mine and got introduced to uh, one of the leaders uh, of the church, a lady called Caroline, and uh, quite innocently, she asked me and my friends uh, how we were doing, and um, I, heard, I misheard the question. I thought this was uh, one of the church leaders uh, asking random guy who's turned up and is dating one of the girls in the church, how, are, are you treating her okay? Like, how are you guys getting on in your relationship? And so started to answer of, of kind of, well, we've um, just been on a couple of dates and we're trying to take things slowly, but, um, you know, just get to know one another's friends. And then there was this dawning realization, this horror on my face of, she didn't ask that. Like, she just said hello, basically. And I suppose then, at last, lastly, there's the carers on there. Often ask the question slowly, so, how are you doing? And... The problem of the last 18 months has been that it's kind of been hard to know the answer to that question so many times over, hasn't it? Things in one moment have seemed both kind of ordered, but then in chaos at the same time. There's been the, the feeling like we should be fine. And then these moments in all of our lives where suddenly, just sometimes out of nowhere, the realization, actually, no, I'm, I'm not okay. In, um, in my own life, I've recognized, particularly kind of in the last six months or so, some times where I've just found myself getting choked up at some really quite awkward moments. I mean, like watching films with the kids, like not necessarily a particular tearjerker, but some re uh, redemptive storyline comes along, and I'm starting to well up. <laughs> like, I need some of this redemption, and we need it kind of in our society. And like, JP, why are you not able to cope with some of the emotion that's kind of coming through in the story. But the way to answer that question of how are you doing is by knowing what we need, right? And that's what society is repeatedly trying to establish, isn't it? So we feel like we need comfort and pleasure, and so we, we try focusing on prosperity and fulfillment, and, and yet we have an individualized culture that, that never has enough, that's always after the, the next gadget or pleasure high. And meanwhile, our levels of, of debt and depression and disparity between rich and poor are getting worse. We feel like we need control and adventure. So we, we try focusing on our own journey of independence, being who we're meant to be. 
and yet it's left people feeling more lost and burdened by their own expectations than ever. We feel we need relationships and connections, so uh, we try social media and developments in, in technology. We have friends and likes, and we can FaceTime anyone in the world. And so we're more linked, but we're less connected than ever. We're dopamine-obsessed, and we're hooked on comparison. We feel we need health and good body image, so we try stricter diets, changing life habits, developments in science, and yet illness still seems to strike. People are still terrified of dying, and literally nobody feels beach body ready. We feel we need acceptance and inclusion, so we try tolerance and letting everyone define their own morality, and yet we still see a world that's full of division and hatred and loneliness and anxiety and abuse and confusion. It got me thinking back to the first um, lockdown. Do you remember that? All those months ago. How weird was that? But we only saw the people within our houses for two months. Some people saw literally nobody if they lived by themselves. And every parent had to create their own curriculum to try and teach their, ch their children. A fresh respect for teachers uh, coming from that place. And then the economy went south, but, but no one really commented because we're all too busy trying to get used to words like coronavirus and social distancing. And then get used to this thing called Zoom where whenever anyone starts talking, you always have to interrupt to go, you're on mute, you know? And then with our health and wealth seriously threatened, we had the murder of George Floyd, the, uh, the latest in a long line of murders of black people at the hands of white people who should have been uh, protecting them, exposing the fallacy that the Western world is a society of tolerance. You know, these, these things, they really showed the fragility of our values, didn't they? The inadequacy of our, our methods. And you can be tempted to ask, well, so what's gone wrong? Well, we need to go back to the Bible because our deepest needs are found by going back to God's original design. So if you've got a Bible with me, I want to encourage you to open it to the very first book and chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. The words will come up on the screen, if not. And I'm going to be reading from verse 26. And here's what it says. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and every living thing that moves on earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So it's an account of creation. We are at five and a bit days in. So for sake of argument, if God started on Sunday lunchtime, it is on Sunday, it's the equivalent of Friday lunchtime, but there is no Friday afternoon feeling because God is on a roll. Things are already good, literally. That's what verse 25 says, but then he creates mankind and they become very good. That's verse 31. 
But just look at how God defines the people that he's made and the world that he's put them in. He emphasizes the importance of four key things. The first one is this, and this is the most important one. Relationship with God. Relationship with God. Now, sociologists debate the claim that we increasingly become like the five people that we are closest to. Now, I'm sure that sets your minds whirring as to what that would mean uh, for you. Uh, if it is true, whoever those people would be for me probably includes my family. So I would become a board game loving, Thomas the Tank Engine obsessed arranger of books who constantly wants to role play Disney and crashes out to Gilmore Girls. <laughs> now, I will leave you to decide if you think that is me. But the biggest truth is that the person that you and I are most made to be like is God himself. Look at verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. We're made in the image of God. We have personality and knowledge and feelings. We have conscience, relationships, and a will. That means that he defines us and our whole lives. We don't define him. We build our life on him, not the other way around. He's the ruler sustainer, creator and communicator, designer, definer, protector and provider. It's the most important relationship in the whole of life. It's breaking explains the pain in our world. And it's what Jesus came to restore for us. Get this cornerstone in your life first. Build your life on the rock that is Jesus Christ and everything else will flow from it. The second thing is this that flows from that relationship with God. It's relationship with others. Now, I wonder if you were to try to define your life in terms of the number of hours that you spend doing various activities, I wonder what it would look like. Well, an April 2021 study did some generalisms for us. So what you're about to see is based on a life expectancy of 79 years. And here's how the people that put this together think that that is. Now, some of you uh, slightly further away might not be able to see some of those things. Um, but there's two things that, that jump out for me from this. The first one is some of the specifics. So if you look at the top line, that's to do with sleep. And so there's a point there about our need to rest, isn't it? Um, the orange one is screen time. Um, that is worrying. 11 and a half years of life, apparently, at the moment, are spent on screens. One of my favorite ones is um, a little bit kind of further down. It's a sort of uh, turquoisey kind of color. It's defined romance as if there is a mode to being romantic. I am being romantic right now. Literally everything I do is words of affirmation and gifts and time and acts of service and what's the other one? Have I missed one? Physical touch, my favorite one. I haven't even missed it. There you go. But then there's a time that I am definitely not being romantic right now. I am out of the mode. But the second thing that jumps out to me is the question of connection. Because if so much time is spent at work and on our screens, where's the place for unagendered, non-task-focused connection? Thanks, Zach, and we take that down now. Because in verse 27, God makes Adam and Eve to be together, to jointly fulfill the task of producing 
more image bearers. And as Genesis 2 goes on to explain, it's neither plants nor trees nor the world around them nor animals or work or resources that can fulfill this deficiency in Adam. It says in chapter 2, it's not good for man to be alone, this deficiency in Adam, until Eve herself comes along. By definition, we can't function relationally without other people. We need real contact with real people in our lives. We're just not designed to be alone or solely online or stay in our houses or occupied constantly by work. In fact, we're designed to relate and connect with others who are the same, that is, bear the image of God, and yet are different from us because that's what God himself is like. Father, Son, Spirit, three persons, one God, different yet the same. That's why it's weird when most of us didn't see anyone beyond our households in the first lockdown. You know, like two months in, where the extroverts had gone crazy, gone absolutely berserk by this time. But two months in, even the introverts are saying, I think I'm ready to see someone, just one person at this moment. (laughs) That's why it's widely commented that the loneliness epidemic will be the next social crisis in our nation. It's why there's an encouragement amongst us as a church to be back in the building, if you can, serving on a team, having home groups in person where possible, because we're made to be in genuine relationship with other people and connect with them. I love seeing people's faces when I throw out the line, I think instant coffee is fine. That is, until I try the real thing, And then I'm like, wow, I forgot how good this was. We were made to be together. Sometimes we forget how good that is. Anyway, I've just lost the non-coffee drinking half of the room and the other half probably hate me because it's all about real coffee anyway. So third relationship, uh, right, uh, right relationship with ourselves. Relationship with ourselves. How about these principles from Genesis chapter one that we read out? to help the skewed modern view of the self. We are not God. The world is not all about us, either as a human race or individually. We need to rest. We do not need to self-define our identity or our purpose or our destiny. But instead, look at this, as we, we're made as part of the creation process. Have a look at verse 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now in Hebrew, repetition is emphasis. So in verse 26, you see that, that God made, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Then verse 27, in the image of God, in the image of God. The emphasis that God wants us to know from this text is that you are made in his image. You are made to reflect the one who is beautiful and captivating. As a human race, we are made as the climax of creation. There is nothing else in all of the world of whom it is then said it was very good once it had been made. That means you are precious. That means you have dignity. That means your life matters because it is sacred. You have purpose. Have a look at this, verse 28. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and every other living thing that moves on the earth. 
He gives you a plan for your life to be part of his big story. And that is so different from the, I want to be master of my destiny and define my own purpose. Thank you very much. And then we wonder why this quest to essentially be God is a weight that is too heavy to bear as we see the disappointments of life and our limitations and the fragility of our existence. No, God makes you fearfully and wonderfully. And then he calls your body a temple, a place he dwells. Because Jesus has cleaned you up, your life is now a beautiful, holy place in which he dwells and then empowers you by his Holy Spirit. So just to say, if you'd identify in the room online, struggling with things like self-harm, poor self-image, maybe you're abusing your body sexually or flogging it into stress by overworking. Maybe you're longing for the depression to lift or the anxiety to go. God cares deeply about these things because he cares for you. And we will look at them as the series progresses because we want to help you. We want to talk and pray with you. We want you to know your identity in Jesus as a beloved child of God. We want you to know God's power in your life. And then however you're doing, to love you anyway. The fourth and last thing is this uh, relationship with creation. And um, I, wonder, I, I wonder if you've ever thought about why it is that going for a walk can uh, make you feel so much better or tending a garden is so satisfying or why being by a river feels so much more peaceful for our souls than some busy concrete streets or something. Well, we are part of the creational process. We've seen that, but there is a marked out theological difference between humanity and the world and creatures around us. We are not the world. Neither is God. That's what pantheism says, for instance. But we are linked to it in that we, we came from it. That's the point of Genesis chapter 2. And it is our home. One day to extensively be restored, but it is our home. And we are given dominion and rulership over the world around us by God. That's what we read out in verse 28 just a moment ago. And so tending and working the earth, being in amongst its beauty is a key and core part of our existence. So just look at those things for me briefly. Relationship with God, with others, with ourselves, with creation. I wonder which one of those you would most like to see change in in your life. I wonder which one of those you say, yeah, identify a deficiency there. There's something that is not quite as it's meant to be in that area that God might begin to bring change by your Holy Spirit. Because as Ben was saying earlier, the Bible has a word for these things. In the Old Testament, it's the Hebrew word shalom. In the New Testament, it's the Greek word eirene. Often gets translated peace, but it's wider than that. It's wider than um, a kind of um, absence of um, uh, difficulty in our lives. It refers to wholeness of life fullness in all aspects, flourishing, well-being. 
And we see this well-being in action in in Genesis 1 and 2, in in the beauty of Adam and Eve, uh, knowing God and knowing each other and knowing themselves, knowing uh, how to relate to the world around them. But then it gets lost in Genesis chapter 3 as they disobey God and as their view of him gets distorted and their view of themselves then gets blown out of all proportion. The relationship with one another begins to break and we start to see blame and hatred and abdication of responsibility. And then finally, we see the world itself breaking. Death comes to humanity. Sickness takes its grip. Sin stains our behavior. You know, you can track the challenges of 21st century Nottingham right back to Genesis chapter three. Overworking, skewed view of self, idolizing of wealth and image, distorted view of God, jealousy, bitterness, shalom, well and truly absent. And yet through the biblical story, it it begins to be promised. The Lord bless you and keep you. God says to his people in Numbers chapter six, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, well-being, wholeness. You know, when Jesus came, he came as the promised prince of peace. And Ephesians chapter two says that he himself is our peace, our wholeness. He preached peace, well-being to those who are far off and to those who are near. His gospel removes the dividing walls of hostility in our lives, creating peace and reconciling us to God through the cross. This is God's plan for our well-being, the gospel, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And it affects every single area of our lives. And so in the next couple of months, we're going to look at the way the gospel impacts every single area of our lives. And so there's there's three practical things just to kind of help you engage with the series over the next couple of months. And the first one is this. Ben made a bit of a joke of it earlier. We're taking a break from Matthew. We love a good early series break, don't we? It would seem at Grace Church. We've done three messages in Matthew, having a break already. I think the record is one. I heard us one message into a series. We're going to be taking a break from our series in. We've only just started. Come on. But the second slightly more helpful thing is that we're going to be using these six dials, so different areas of our life, if you like, um, to to look at the way the gospel affects our physical well-being, our emotional well-being, our spiritual well-being, our relational well-being, our financial well-being, our vocational well-being. And um, the the book that Ben referred to also uses these as chapter headings. We won't particularly refer to it um, in the preachers. But what we would encourage you to do is to, to see these six things as a menu of options, And to pick, as we go through uh, looking at each one of them, one change in your life that you would love to see happen. And if there's more than one, then just line it up until the first one is established. It is much, much better that there is one small but achievable change that is made in your life than trying to sort everything out at once. And then the third thing to note is that we are going to discuss these across church life. So in your home group, in our youth group, maybe it'll provoke conversation in prayer pods and discipleship groups. And and we've got an opportunity here to really be family together, to make a choice to be vulnerable with one another, the the ones that we, we know and love and trust, to open up as to how we're really doing and to engage together. But let me end with this. 
as a family, Emma and I have just um, bought our daughter Lizzie um, a block of swimming lessons. And you, you pay for them kind of all at once. And um, she goes and she does these swimming lessons. And um, Zachary and I stay outside and he executes a death wish on his scooter. But that's another story for another time. So swimming is sorted, right? In Lizzie's life, swimming, done, paid. So there you go. But if we never gave her a lift to the swimming pool, if we never helped her get changed, she's four, and if we never gave her a snack afterwards or went into the water with her when, when it's appropriate, she would only be able to enjoy these swimming lessons to a limited extent, maybe even not at all. In fact, we take pleasure in her own enjoyment of her purple goggles and the kind of, Daddy, are you watching me questions? And we delight in being part of it. Now, of course, Jesus satisfies us spiritually. When we trust in him, we are justified. That means that we are declared completely clean, sinless, right before God. So we have peace, well-being, wholeness before our Father in heaven. But because he's a good and loving father, he cares about how we feel. And he cares about what we do. And he cares about how we're connecting and how we're getting on. He cares about our relationships, not just with him, but with others, with ourselves, with the world around us. And as we look at these six dials over the next two months, what we realize is that they're all linked. The swimming lessons are linked to the help in the changing room, which is informed by the lift to the pool and completed by the snack afterwards. These dials are woven together in a wonderful way in our lives, but the way to see change in each one is the same. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that Jesus came to save, redeem, and restore us. It is Jesus who empowers us to stop doing some things and start some healthier habits. It's Jesus who empowers us to open up and to be better connected. It's Jesus who shows us who we truly are. He himself is our well-being. And uh, as we invite the band up, and I can maybe if we have the number six slide um, back up, we, um, um, perhaps if the welcome team can head to the communion tables as well, that'd be great. We're... Um, we're going to take communion together. And um, so if you're watching online, you might want to uh, get some um, bread and uh, something red. And um, when we take communion, we, we take all that our lives are. You can take this if you want, Matt. Thank you. Um, we, we take all that our lives are, the goods, the bads, the ugly. And we submit them to the one who has redeemed every part of us. And so when we take the bread, which symbolizes the body of Jesus that was broken for us on the cross, and when we drink the grape juice, symbolizing the blood of Jesus that was shed for us on the cross, that we might be free, our relationships are strengthened. Our relationship with God is strengthened as we meet with him in that moment and as we are reminded afresh of who he is by what Jesus did and the finality of his victory on the cross. Our relationship with others are strengthened. The Bible asks us to forgive one another if that needs to happen as we, as we take communion. <clears throat> it gives this, <clears throat> this to us as something that we can do together as a family with all our frailties and insecurities when we're together in Jesus. We ourselves are strengthened as we realize who we are in light of who he is. And our relationship even with the watching world around us is strengthened as this sign is proclaimed 
that Jesus is Lord in our lives and that in him is true freedom. This is a, a, an activity to take part in if you would say that you follow Jesus, if he's the first priority in your life, if you like. And maybe that um, wasn't the case when you entered the building today and you're sitting here and you're hearing these things. And I would like to invite you right now in this moment if you want to be part of this, if you want to come and take some of the bread and drink some of the grape juice to make a choice in this moment right now for all that's going on, I'm going to put Jesus first in my life. I'm going to live for him. I'm going to stop living for myself and trying to be weighed down by my own expectations and who I want to be. I'm going to let him define me. And you can join in with this, the sign and symbol of freedom that Jesus has given to us. And so what I'm going to encourage us to do in just a moment is to get into groups of three or four and for each one of you to come up and to take some of the bread and some of the grape juice and to go back to your, um, uh, to your seats and to eat the bread together and to drink the grape juice together and to pray for one another. And it might be a really good idea just to use these verses that we read out in the preach to do that from Numbers chapter 6. You could just read them over one another. We'll leave that on the screen. You could use them to uh, inspire your prayers. Or if you like, you don't have to use them at all. That's absolutely fine. But why don't we all stand together and let's begin to head towards the, the communion tables and come back, groups of three or four. Let's just begin to uh, pray for one another and use these verses if you want. So I mean, you'll need to get out of your seats. Who's going to be brave and 